0: Hopefully we'll be uh, finishing up this portion of our study and we'll be continuing on with our doctrinal statement, but uh, the next couple sections are also going to be <laughs> fairly controversial. Yay! But welcome to our sinful world. You know, we've all got different ideas about the way we think things ought to go, and God says, well, this is what I think things ought to go, and so we need to get on, uh, on the same page with the Lord, and we'll be All right. Problem is getting on the same page with each other. So that's why we're going through these things. You know, the the Word of God is very, very practical. And many times we just take for granted that our church is teaching and standing on what's right. But we need to be understanding of what a church teaches, our biblical stands on different topics, because that affects what we understand and our ability to minister in this world. So if we stay in the dark, we're gonna be unprepared. Or uh We'll find ourselves incorrect. We've got to be very careful of that. So this will hopefully be the last uh, portion of this section. So uh, again, let's start with Psalm 119.34 together, folks. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Got to get it up here for us to be able to apply it properly. So, human sexuality being, uh, we believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. We believe that any form of homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, bestiality, incest, fornication, adultery, and pornography are sinful perversions of God's gift of sex. We believe that God disapproves of and forbids any attempt to alter one's gender by surgery or appearance, We believe that the only scriptural marriage is the joining together of one man and one woman. So let's look at part three here, the true cost of misuse. Again, many of these principles are are not going to be a shock. I I believe we're all going to be in agreement on them. But because our society is so twisted, we cannot find ourselves ignorant, ignorant of how to approach these topics. We've got young people that we need to instruct in more detail now than we have in days past. Now, if you're a a parent, this is going to be very helpful for you. If you're a grandparent, you may find yourself needing to either prod your children to help educate your grandchildren a little better, or in all honesty, as a married couple, These things may not even have been addressed uh, in your marital counseling, if you had any, or throughout your marriage. There are a lot of married couples who do not understand the principles of what we're going to go through. And because of that, there's a lot of tension and misunderstanding between the two of them. So this literally is something that is going to help everybody in this room this evening. And we're going to hit some stuff that is normally shied away from, but I don't feel we we have that luxury anymore. Uh, We need to uh, handle these things very directly. So let's jump into it. Uh, The first section, hopefully, should not be too controversial. Uh, Blank number one, marriage is a foundation that teaches roles, cooperation, and commitment. We see all the way back in Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So a man isn't complete without a wife, just as mankind is incomplete without God. That is the overall point God is trying to get through. There is a design and there is a function to everything God has us do. And marriage itself is a teaching opportunity. It's a lesson that you are literally living. Now, we do want to Uh, Be reminded that we talked about last week as far as that gift of singlehood. That is a thing. And God designed certain people that, hey, you don't have the desires to to have a family, to be married, uh, to engage in sexuality, but you still want deep, meaningful relationships. That's fine. That's great. But that's not most people. So God looks at the overall group of mankind and says, it's not good that a man be alone. You're not designed for that, by and large, most of you. But you have to understand what God's trying to get through. He's trying to get through you need each other just as you need me. So getting that understanding of the illustration, the the teaching point that God is trying to get out there, I mean that's kind of crucial. We need each other. Sadly, a lot of people look at marriage differently. Say, like, Well, it makes me happy. Well that that's good. Hopefully, a marriage does make you happy most of the time. But let's be realistic. Sometimes you're not real thrilled with each other, right? Let's be real. So if the only reason you're married to somebody is to make you happy, guess what? You're not going to want to be married all the time. I mean, those expectations with the understanding have to come together. But God's designed this relationship. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 Wives, submit uh, Excuse me. For submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So even that particular aspect of the marriage relationship, the wife submits to and supports her husband's lead, Just as the church, and that's all of us, submits to and supports Christ's lead. So under Christ's leadership, this is a cooperative effort. Boneheaded guys, let's be honest, are going to look at this verse and say, See, woman, you're supposed to do what you're told. (laughs) Yeah, if I were to say something like that, I would immediately duck. Because Liz wouldn't do real well with that. We understand marriage is a cooperative effort. Now, I'm going to be held responsible for how I lead, all right? But Christ leads the church, and the husband is to lead the home. Spiritually speaking, I'm supposed to add that drive. I'm supposed to say, we are going to be in church. We are going to see God. We are going to follow the Lord. I'm supposed to have my antenna up to make sure that my kids are doing well spiritually, if they're not, it's my job to get active. Now, does that mean Liz has no responsibility? Of course not. We are cooperative in this, but I'm supposed to be that drive. Some men say, well, that's I wear the pants of my family and we do what I say. <laughs> Brother, you've missed it. You're the spiritual head of your home, but it is a cooperative effort. And that's what Christ is trying to get across to us in this passage, the church follows his lead, the wife follows the lead of the husband, just as Ephesians 5 gives us the opposite side, the husband loves and sacrifices for the growth of his wife, just as Christ has loved and sacrificed for the salvation of his church. That's what Ephesians 5, 25-29 say, and grabbing the highlights there, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Those are two loaded words, nourish and cherish, very loaded, even as the Lord, the church. So it's a selfless purpose. We're going to be going over these things in the next couple sections of our doctrinal statement because they deal specifically with marriage and family. So this is just a precursor. So, gentlemen, our job is to sacrifice ourselves, our goals, our time, our energy, our resources to grow specifically our wives spiritually. Maybe that means setting aside some golf to make sure we have some family devotional time. Maybe that means setting aside funds that I want to use on my hobby to make sure we go on a marriage retreat once in a while or, for crying out loud, a date once in a while to meet her needs. It's more than just putting clothes on the back and a roof over the head and a meal on the table, guys. We're supposed to be sacrificing ourselves for her growth and, by extension, the growth of our family, spiritually speaking. So we're seeing that marriage is very much designed to teach us something. And we need a very personalized, living it 24 7 kind of illustration to get some of these things through because our sin nature makes us really hard. So thank God for such an illustration. Now, Matthew 19, verse 6, ought to be pretty clear about the next blank you have in front of you. Wherefore, they are no more twain, Matthew 19.6 says, but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So the marriage union is to be permanent. This is an illustration of God's faithfulness to us, that it is unwavering. Now, I will be real clear, in the next couple sections of our doctrinal statement, we're going to be going over marriage, family, and divorce. And I am very strong on my position because I have a a biblical position on it. I also understand we have a lot of divorce situations in our church. This is not to pound anybody or to make anybody feel less of a church member or guilty or ashamed. We have to preach the truth. We have to get out there to our next generation what's good and what's not, what's a mistake and what is commitment. So we're going to be very, very clear on those areas because God has designed it to be permanent because he never gives up on us, ever. And that's the way marriage is supposed to be. We don't give up on each other, ever, because there are hard times. Any of us that have been married for any amount of time, gotten past that honeymoon phase, you know it gets hard at times, but you don't give up. Marriage is an illustration of that. So you see at the bottom of your sheet, marriage is the foundation of life and society. When marriage is functioning according to God's design, the home, society, and even government built upon it will have strength and purpose. Destroy its design, and these other institutions fall apart. That is why I put so much stock into building the families of our church. I want us as married couples, to be close and walking with God because then you're going to have the ability to handle those kids that God's put in your responsible uh, hands. With healthy families, we're going to have a church that's reaching out with the gospel and affecting our society properly. Our society needs First Baptist Church to live properly, to be a different example of how marriages go, about how families function, about the purpose of life. All of that will fall apart. Our ability as a church will fall apart if our homes are falling apart. So understanding these points is very, very crucial. Marriage is a teaching opportunity to get these uh, concepts through to us. But not just marriage. Um, Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Hebrews thirteen four. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. The next word to fill in the blank there is the word sex. Sex is a parallel that communicates the need for healthy intimacy, just as marriage is teaching concepts. God has designed this institution as well to teach specific concepts. Uh, I I love doing marital counseling. I love the excitement of a young couple that's that's about to get married, branch off to something that's totally new and exciting for them. But we go over these concepts when we go through these lessons, and some of them just kind of say, "Excuse me, what?" Like, folks, this is more about more than just procreation. God is trying to get some serious truth through to us. With such things as this, this is a parallel that communicates a point about intimacy. Ephesians 5:31 and 32, "For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. What happens to one happens to the other." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this union of two people, physically, is a mystery, is a a concept that we need to consider. So sex is more than just a method to produce offspring. It's a precious and powerful intimacy between a husband and his wife. Sex is designed to communicate certain truths. Now those of you that have been married for a while, you'll be able to Think and meditate on this truth and realize, you know, yeah, that that's true. Never really thought about that before. If you look at Psalm one thirty nine one and two, sex does, requires trust and vulnerability. Now, again, these are all going to be within the parameter of a healthy marriage relationship. We're not talking about misuse. Talk about the proper God design kind of situation. Psalm one thirty nine one and two, O oh Lord. Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. There is no one that knew David like God and still loved him. David was willing to pray, Lord, search me and know me. You already know me, but I'm willing to give you that vulnerability. Would you please search me? Folks, that's a scary thing to pray. Let's be honest. Lord, I want you to lay my life fully open, and I want you to examine me and show me what needs to change, what's good, what's bad. Guide me based on what you see. Complete honesty. That is a type of intimacy that you and I have very rarely with anybody else in our lives. But our spouses... It has to be there for such a thing as this. Point number two, sex is an act of giving that meets physical and emotional needs. Again, this is within God's design. When we do it properly, it is an act of giving. 1 Corinthians 7.3, "...let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband." Give them what belongs to them, what they deserve, what they have control over. They have control over you. And this is a point that many Christians don't understand, and we're certainly not passing it on to our young people, that the gift of sexuality that God has put in them does not belong to them. It is not for you to wisely choose when you use it. No, no. It is placed in your care to protect it until you give it over to who it actually belongs to, which would be your spouse. The intimacy that is there, the act of giving is supposed to be there. And then point number three, it deepens a relational bond. Now this is where you can get all scientific. Chemically, things happen within our bodies that reinforce our emotions. God has made us a fierce and amazing, you know, Tim Hawkins says, a meat computer. You know We are, are physically responsive to thoughts, to images, to emotions. Our body reacts in ways that then compounds those things. It is an amazing work that God has done within us. And frankly, because of the nature of this topic, a lot of people don't understand what's chemically happening within the body according to God's design. Even a 20-second hug will initiate a chemical response within the human body. Contact with another person begins these things. Dopamine is the reward hormone that causes a temporary high. Um, Let's see, I've got... I'm going to have to fly through a whole bunch of these pictures to get down to... Come on, there it is. There's a cross-section of your brain. Down deep in the center of it are a lot of very powerful glands that release hormones. Dopamine is one of those hormones that's released when the act of sex occurs. That's what gives the, the joy, the euphoria at the end. It stimulates especially the front part of your brain. God designed that. It's a reward system. Now, that reward system can actually be triggered in a lot of different ways. You could do something really stupid but exciting, and when you succeed, you, your brain gets rewarded. You, know, you could reward yourself in the wrong ways. But God has designed this to happen specifically. So you get a rush of dopamine. You also get a rush of other things. Let's see if we can get back very, very quickly. There we go. Oxytocin. Actually, vasopressin and oxytocin are two other chemicals released by your brain. Those heavily influence your emotions and your choices. I don't know if you ever thought about this back when you were dating, that when you get all, what was it call Disney called, being all twitterpated, you get all excited to be around that special somebody, for guys especially, sometimes it gets hard to think, to reason through things, to think logically and properly. I honestly remember, and I, I've told my sons this just to help prepare them for the, ex, uh, the experiences of life. said, so I remember sitting on a couch next to your mom when she and I were just dating, watching a movie, getting all cuddled up and close, and I made a promise to myself, and before God, I said, the first woman I kiss is going to be the woman I marry. So I had to make that decision way before I even knew her because I wanted to set out principles that I was going to stick to And I said, guys, I honestly can tell you there were nights where I was sitting there cozied up next to her just having my arm touching her arm that i like, I cannot think of one single reason why I shouldn't lean over and kiss this incredibly attractive young lady. I'm serious. In my mind, I was thinking, I have no reason why I shouldn't. And then it hit me. Why am I thinking that? Because I made a promise and I can't think of any reason why I should keep that promise you think, thinking, Pastor Collie, you're weak, man. Seriously? Folks, I honestly, I got up and went home. In the middle of a movie, I'm like, sorry, Liz, I, I got to go home. She's like, what? I was like, just trust me. I just need to go home. Years later, I said, this is because I was going to kiss you. And I made a promise to myself, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to save that. And folks, I didn't realize until I started reading into some science books that that is a physical effect of having brain chemistry kick in. It is hard to think. Now, guys, is that ever an excuse to do something you shouldn't? No, it's not. Not ever. There are are people that say, well, I couldn't help it. That's the way my brain works. Like, no, you're an idiot. That's why. Okay? You get yourself in those positions where you can't think well, and you make dumb decisions. So you stay out of the situations. But all of that to say, God has designed us specifically. We need to understand these mechanisms to help avoid temptation, to make sure we do what's right. This is a chemical reaction. In fact, oxytocin heightens loyalty, trust, and relational bonding. Now that's kind of interesting. Why would God design chemicals... In our brain to be stimulated by sexuality that would lead you to be more loyal to that person. Any of you married couples want to answer that one? Maybe it's because sometimes it's hard. Maybe because life gets tough and you want to check out, but you've just got this something in your head that says, but I just can't. It's because God has designed the things that we do as a married couple to help reinforce that commitment. God's doing everything to help us, folks, even on a chemical level. It's amazing what God has done. Now, sadly, we're going to go over it in a couple of minutes, that can work to the negative as well. Anytime we misuse the gifts of God, these things work to our detriment exponentially. So let's move on, though. We're still looking at God's design. Understanding is going to protect our purity and the blessing of what God has given us. So your first blank there is understanding. And the second blank right underneath it, an understanding of design will help determine use. A person's sexuality is a gift from God given to them for protection until the day it's given to its rightful owner, which would be their Spouse. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3: Let the husband render unto the wife, do benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Those of you who have raised kids and who have had to have the talk and things relating to dating and to marriage and things like that, did you specifically help them understand that their sexuality belonged to their future spouse? Is that something that you got across to them or at least tried? Sometimes as parents, we just feel accomplished because we got through of the talk and it was awkward and I did my duty and we're, we're out of here. You know, Don't screw up. All right, job done. Folks, there's so much more we need to be communicating to our young people. I've been trying to think of ways to to communicate this stuff to my kids. I told you that I I just took our our second son out on a camping trip, and there's a lot of things we talked about, and I brought these notes because there's a lot to talk about. And as best I could to communicate these things to my sons because I know the dangers that they face. I know the the difficulties that they're going to struggle with. And trying to get through the dating relationship into a healthy marriage they need to be informed. I plan on taking my daughter out on a date here probably fairly soon because I've got a little silver locket that I want to give her, a little heart shaped necklace that's got a ruby in the center. Uh, very small ruby. But the point is, I want to give that to her. I said, This is symbolic because the silver stands for purity and the ruby stands for uh, Proverbs chapter 31 you are a valuable valuable, beautiful young lady in the eyes of God. I said, but there's a second necklace that goes along with this. I said, this symbolizes your purity and your value before God. I said, I want you to wear this whenever you go out on a date, but this locket, excuse me, this necklace has a key on the bottom of it. I said, I hold that for right now because on the day you get married, I'm going to hand that over to your husband. So you have to guard the gifts that God has given you. Because I don't want to get to that day and to that ceremony and have to give your husband an empty necklace because you misused the gift that God put in your protection. She knows she's getting this. Like, Pastor Collie, that is a ton of pressure. Yeah, it's a ton of pressure. I want her to understand the seriousness of this issue. I don't want to put undue pressure on her. I want her to understand the beauty and the greatness of what God has done. And I don't want her to to misunderstand. I don't want her to, to make mistakes because of ignorance. So understanding of God's design is going to help us determine proper use. But then secondly, an understanding of the function of sexuality will help us determine boundaries. This makes a lot more sense. Proverbs 6, 27 and 28, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So the sexual experience is designed to come to completion once begun, just like jumping into a strong river will carry you swiftly downstream. With that understanding, sexual experimentation, with a very naive expectation to be able to hold it hold its progress at a certain point, is really unrealistic. And by the way, it's also unfulfilling, and it's typically unsuccessful. This is why God gives us boundaries. Young people don't understand that. Like, well, we can do this and that as long as we don't go all the way, then we're all right. No, you're jumping in a river that's designed to take you downstream. The only way to not end up downstream is to not get in the river. They need to understand that. But is that typically being taught to them? It needs to be. So the blessings of what God has given us are powerful. And they're wonderful when and only when used under his design. Makes a lot of sense. 1 Corinthians 7, one. Now, concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's a pretty clear guideline. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that I can't shake Brenda Legg's hand. You know, that's unbiblical. 1 Corinthians seven one should shouldn't touch her. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. Let's be mature here. All right, this has to do with sexuality. A man ought not be touching another woman that is not his wife. There are boundaries. And it's not just because this is a societal construct. In Western civilization, adultery is wrong. Fornication is viewed as wrong. Well, guess what, folks? Those days are changing. Society changes. God's word does not. The boundaries God has given us have always been and will always be the right and best way to do it. So we need to have that understanding, know why we have the boundaries we do, and then be able to communicate them to the next generation. Because they go to schools, and they watch television, and they listen to music that are not reinforcing these They're giving examples of how to misuse it and why it's wonderful to misuse it. And anybody that tells you that that there are actual boundaries is old and doesn't get it. And those are the same people that are wrecking their lives. Our young people need this help and this guidance. Interesting fact. Harvard researchers have found that lust and attraction which is their way of, uh, in this article, of saying various levels of sexual stimulation, shut off the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which includes rational behavior. Some, uh, someone with an appreciation for God's design will agree to God's wise boundaries and set up strong personal standards. Whereas a fool would use this as an excuse for immoral actions. Well, I couldn't help myself. We went over that just a few minutes ago. So I don't want our young people to go into their teen years, to go through what would have been very positive dating relationships and to make honest mistakes because there are young couples, Christian couples, who make honest mistakes. Why? Because they weren't being careful. They didn't know why to be careful. They didn't realize this is a rushing river that you don't even get your feet wet until you got a ring on your finger. Because of God's design, they need to be informed. So whether that be young people that need a good dose of fear so they don't go in their foolish directions, or the well-meaning young couples that are trying to do what's right, they need the extra backing of understanding. God is amazing in his design. But we need to be understanding of it. So just to transition now, this is the blessings of God's design. Now, selfishness will use those blessings outside of God's boundaries and outside of his timing and will replace the blessings with serious consequences. Some of you know of of these consequences. So let's look at man's design for sexual use, and this is where we get into all the the problems. It's good that we understand these things as well. Adultery and fornication turn those blessings into brokenness. Proverbs 6, 26 through 35 is, is a long passage of Scripture, but it describes the man who gets lured in or purposely jumps into an adulterous relationship. It describes that man as being brought to a piece of bread, as not being innocent, he does things that destroys his own soul. A wound and a dishonor shall he get, and repercussions galore. So we understand that misuse ruins. So let's go through some of these things point for point. Just as we saw earlier of each of these blessings, there's a flip side. There is a, a, a curse, if you will, uh, a negative repercussion. So instead of sex being a beautiful thing of intimacy, now sex involves fear and shame. Whether that be unwanted pregnancies, whether that be the introduction of diseases that never would have occurred because of being virgins when you come together, uh, the reputation that is now built, on and on and on. So now, instead of being that blessed joy, there's fear and shame. And typically, the fear and the shame do not kick in until right afterwards. Maybe there's a little bit of fear beforehand, but that gets washed over with pressure or with foolishness or or desire. But afterwards, things just come crashing down. Uh, Years ago, I was reading an article about a very famous lady in Hollywood that was actually uh, raised as a Christian, very Christian moral home. And these were some of the principles that were taught Well, she said uh, that when she went off to college, she had her first sexual experience, and she remembers afterwards just being devastated and crushed and feeling worthless and, and filthy and dirty, and she goes on the article to say, but it was only because of my upbringing I got over that. Like, wow, okay. So you were given the truth at a young age. All those things kicked in, but basically you just kept after that sad, selfish lifestyle until you just burned all that guilt and shame away and you're now proud of it. That is, that is really sad. As believers, we can look at that illustration and say, no, it, it wasn't foolish old things that you were taught. You're just running from God, and that's a sad consequence. Now point two, instead of sex being an act of giving under God's design, now sex becomes an act of taking to satisfy one's own selfish desire. And folks, even within a Christian marriage, this is a danger. That if you're not looking at this illustration of intimacy, at this gift and this blessing properly, it can become something very selfish. And that's something, especially as men, we need to be very careful of gentlemen. This is about meeting her needs. Now, it definitely meets yours as well. It is a mutual blessing. But how do you view it? Because if you don't view it properly, you're going to misuse it. And that's going to hurt the woman that you say you love. And that's going to cause all sorts of issues. Point number three, sex now causes the chemical and the emotional effects to work against you. The dopamine high causes an unhealthy, life-destroying addiction. Because of that center of your brain that's kicking out the dopamine and giving you that reward, folks, that's the exact same chemical reaction to doing drugs. And we think, well, why are drug addicts so addicted? Well, that's what's happening in their brain. They're giving themselves a chemical that hits that same area of the brain and the same reaction chemically. So is there such a thing as sex addiction? Absolutely, it's the same thing as a chemical drug addiction. So what God is using to reward you for doing right, somebody that's misusing it is getting that same addiction in a negative way. Also, the emotional bonding between you and that person creates an unhealthy loyalty to someone who is undeserving and uncommitted. This is literally the reason that we have young ladies that are literally being beaten by their boyfriends but just can't leave them because they love Bubba, and I'm sure Bubba's going to change, and he promised he'll never do it again. Are you serious? This is the fifth time. You call the cops on them, but yet you just can't leave the bum? It's because of the loyalty factor. They're being physically intimate with each other, and she is confused and become overly loyal to a dirtbag. And by the way, guys, this happens with fellas being addicted to a girl that's not faithful to him or, you know, under the right condition. You would never consider her for a lifelong partner. But because you're being physical with each other, you're getting confused and literally addicted and loyal to somebody that doesn't deserve it. The designs of God are powerful in the right ways, but under misuse become powerfully negative and destructive. Now, to finish this point off, multiple bonds, which would include recreational sex to having multiple relationships where you're physically intimate, those multiple bonds weaken the ability to relationally bond in the future. This is like taking a piece of tape and sticking it on a piece of cloth and ripping it off, and then putting it on a piece of cloth and ripping it off, putting it on a piece of cloth and ripping it off, and then expecting to be able to use that piece of tape. It doesn't stick real well. Same thing with Velcro. Open, close, open, close, open, close. It wears out. If we misuse the gift of sex, that ability to bond properly with the right person gets damaged. All these relationships, now you have a hard time trusting. You have a hard time bonding with somebody good that comes along. In all these ways, God knows what He's doing. So we need to understand what he's doing so that we're extra careful in how we use God's gift and how we teach our next generation. So if that wasn't uncomfortable enough for you, let's jump into the next section. All right. Again, under man's design for selfish use of sexuality, here's your next blank. Pornography twists and addicts. I was very, very pleased to see that this is specifically referenced in our church constitution because this is an amazing poison that has run throughout the United States and the church. Hold on a couple minutes for some statistics that I hope will shock the daylights out of you. Earthweb.com reports that today roughly 2.5 million people visit the world's most popular porn sites every 60 seconds. Two and a half million people every minute. One of the biggest sellers of pornography, Pornhub, says that patrons mostly come from, sadly, the United States. We are the biggest consumer. Uh, I believe Russia is next, and then it's either Japan or China I really don't care. I hate the number one spot with things like this. I love the U.S. being number one in a lot of ways. This is not it. But sadly, this is the truth. Statistics are very, very clear. In the United States, we're an estimated 40 million users consume porn regularly. Regular basis. There's only, what, 300 million people in the U.S. right now? That's a pretty high statistic, folks. So here's the process. And I thank God so much for putting good men in my life that were able to explain some of these things. Did so much good to help me when I was younger and even to this very day. Here's the process. The eye is the gate to the mind. The mind fills the desires of the heart then the desires of the heart push the body to action. That is literally the process. So if you understand this process, you can help protect yourself because you know how to do it. This is how it works. So if you're wondering, well, is that a, like a psychological thing? Is that a Bible thing? Is well, look at Scripture. God tells us how he's designed us. Lamentations 351 has an interesting principle. The prophet says, Mine I... Affecteth mine heart. Now, context of this verse the prophet is looking at the city of Jerusalem that it's wrecked. And he's like, I can't not feel something over what I'm seeing. So that's the specific context of this verse. But there's a principle there we need to understand. Because in Job 31, verse 1, Job, in defense of his own uh, holy living, said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I put this verse to memory. Gentlemen, I recommend you do the same. If I'm not looking at her, why would I be thinking about her? That stuff's not in my head because I didn't let it in through my eyes. This is the number one area as men that we must be seriously disciplined. What we put in our eyes. Because if you put it in there, it's going to be bouncing around in that head. That is dangerous. Because Jesus went on to say in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman, looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Gentlemen, you may be physically guiltless when it comes to adultery but let's be honest what have you been thinking about through the years in the eyes of god adultery is adultery whether it's physical or mental this is a serious issue here's what i learned years ago that was so helpful after that description a lingering look gentlemen and the second look will lock an image in the brain And I tell my boys this, I said, guys, you're not going to be able to live in this world without seeing things. You can't go to the mall and not see pretty girls who don't mind displaying their beauty to the entire world in inappropriate ways. You can't help it. If you're ever going to be watching any kind of movie or television show, it's going to come across your sight. But here's what you've got to be disciplined to do. If you see something, you look away, and I recommend you quote Proverbs thirty-one, excuse me, Job thirty-one-one in your mind immediately. As long as you take a lingering look at that image, or you look back a second time, that's when that image gets locked in your brain, and that's where it's going to torture you, and that's where it's going to be used of Satan to wreck you, because the more that's in your head, the more it's going to fill your body full of desires. That's just the way you're programmed to work. So when you get married, you get to look all you want at your wife. That's fine. That's according to design. But if you're going to be looking all over the place, whether it be on your phone, whether it be on the television, whether it be the ladies at work, whether it be when you go out in public, you are filling your head full of things that are going to wreck your marriage and wreck your spiritual life. That's just the way God's designed you to function. You've got to be careful what you lay your eyes on. This is very, very serious, and most men don't realize that that lingering look or that second look is what's going to get them. Remember, years ago, uh, I always kind of like um, Tim. Uh, oh, Tim the Toolman Taylor, come on, help me out, Tim Allen. Thank you. I always thought he was a funny actor. Uh, like some of his movies and whatnot, but he was doing an, uh, uh, an interview on television, and it came up that, so, Tim, we hear that your wife doesn't mind you looking at girly magazines. And he just kind of chuckles, yeah, she says, as long as, I can look as long as I don't touch. And as I've gotten older, I was like, are you serious? His poor wife, his poor, ignorant, foolish wife, because she's allowing him to put those things in his head that are pushing him in the wrong direction. You can't play with fire and not get burned. Not just physically, guys. It starts through the eyes, sits in the mind, and eventually pushes the body. So that look but don't touch mentality is absolute garbage. And Satan would love for every man in here to have that foolish notion. Mr. Henry? That is an issue around here because, yeah, along with the clientele of casinos and horse track racing and all those other things and card tables, you get certain types of clientele that like lots of different activities. So is there a surprise that there are so many of those kind of, I, I'm, I can't even call them entertainment facilities because they're not, it's it's disgusting, it's disgusting is what it is. Uh, sorry, I'm going to move on. And get me all upset. Thanks, Mr. Henry. Appreciate that. <laughs> Just kidding. So, is there a hope for this? Yes, men, there is. Here's what you got to do. And there's only one way to make this happen it's not stepping it back, it's not weaning yourself. It's 100% stop. And then you saturate your mind and your heart with God's word. That is the only thing that will be able to cleanse the filth of what's in there. Like I said, that lingering look or that second look locks images into a guy's brain. I don't know if it works like that for women. I'm going to assume so. But I know this is, this is a struggle for men. So you fill your mind with God's word. Whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no... Wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the works of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. That word cleave basically means permanently glued together. Gentlemen, there is hope for if things have gone in your eye that ought not be there and are sitting in your mind, you can get them out. But it takes a long time of constantly putting God's word in. And it slowly, slowly, slowly pushes the garbage out. We're talking the process of years. But when you stay disciplined and dedicated to guard your eye gate, fill yourself full of God's word, God heals those things. And I warn my boys about it passionately. I said, if you ever come across this stuff, you better treat it like a pit viper at your feet. So you get out of there. You don't try to stomp it. You don't try to shoot it. You get out. The temptation is too great. You don't realize it. It's amazingly powerful. But God is able to heal. And I thank so much our God for being that powerful. So we're about done. We're going to finish uh, this lesson next week. Uh, some of the statistics, excuse me, statistics that I want to show you next week. Some of these specific points need to be made because this subject and this specific aspect of this subject is not talked about in churches like it needs to be. In fact, I want to give you guys plenty of time to go over the question section at the end of this lesson. There are things that we need to be discussing at First Baptist Church in order to get things right between us and God, and then be able to help guard our young people. But I want to leave you with that encouragement again. There is hope in God. If you think you can whoop this, if you think you can do things yourself and correct ship, you can't. God gives us the guidelines on sexuality. His ways are always right and beneficial. And if we step away from that guideline, we're in trouble. But thank God he gives us the ability to correct things, to purify, to heal. But the power only comes through him and through his word. So let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father, we've had some pretty heavy <laughs> conversations the last uh, couple of weeks here dealing with sexuality. God, the the blessings that you give us are so powerful. But God, the, the potential for destruction is there as well when we hijack your blessings and we misuse them. Lord God, I know these things are very real and they are all throughout our society. Lord, it's even touched our church because we're people, we're weak, we're human. Lord, educate us so that we'll be on the same page as far as our our viewpoint, that our viewpoint would match yours. Lord, that you would give us a, a desire from your Holy Spirit to do right, and whether that process mean getting help? Father, that, that we'd be able to provide help here at our church to take people to you. Father, that we would be able to agree with your viewpoint and then teach the next generation so that they know of the blessings that you've given to us and avoid the dangers of misuse. God, we need you. This world is literally falling apart. We're wrecking ourselves. God, make us a beacon in the dark, a beacon of truth, of joy, of stability, because we follow your ways. If this is one of the areas that will help draw attention to you, then Father, help us to draw attention to you. I love you and I thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.